All right. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. And uh, trust everyone had a good week this week. And we thank the Lord for what He's done and will continue to do. And um, we've got a lot to be thankful for this morning. We've got a number of answers to prayer this week that are certainly been a blessing. And uh, one of them is... Miss Linda and Jennifer got out of quarantine this week, <laughs> and uh, no adverse effects. So praise the Lord for that, and uh, certainly a joy there. And uh, so a lot of things to be grateful for. God's given us a great week. There's been several opportunities to share the gospel this week, and some of y'all have shared some of that with me. And uh, God's given some opportunity for me to do that as well this week, and it's it's exciting to be a part of that, isn't it? Every time we get the opportunity, and uh, boy, I tell you, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved this morning, but you know, one of the secondary joys in being saved is that God gives us the opportunity to be a part in His work, and uh, certainly is, uh, I don't know why He does it, but I'm glad He does, don't you? Uh, it certainly is uh, one of the great joys to be able to do that, and uh, so it's been a great week. Uh, I was out at the airport this morning and met three fellas, and uh, invited them to church, and I don't know that they'll come, but <laughs> invited them out there. So I figure if I'm going to have an aviation ministry, might as well just visit out there, you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, just been a great, great week this week. We thank the Lord for it. I had a funeral for a lady, Miss uh, Rita Gertz, yesterday. Some people that are here that have been here for a while may remember her. She's used to come here years ago, a number of years ago. And uh, I've only met her, I think, once or twice. But she passed away several weeks ago, and her family had asked me to do the funeral here a couple weeks ago. And um, so we had that uh, memorial service yesterday. There were about 30 folks there. And as best I could tell, probably the majority of them were not saved. They certainly didn't go to church anywhere. And so uh, gave a, a strong plan of salvation and uh, presented the gospel to them. And several of them said that I'd given them a lot to think about. And so pray that God will keep that message on their heart and bring some conviction and show them that need. And uh, so pray that God will bless there. And uh, then continue to pray for our shut-ins. Uh, Brother Ron Beckett, continue to pray for him especially. Um, Brother Everett Scheffler, uh, Carol Dow, and uh, good to see Miss Laverne here today. And always a good joy to see her in the services. Continue to pray for June Bolin. Uh, I mentioned Gene Whitener, I think, and uh, Jess and Sarah Harris. And so a lot of our folks to be praying for. And uh, then also had an opportunity to uh, spend some time on the phone with Brother Eddie Oates uh, yesterday. And they, he and his wife have uh, been through a lot of things this last month. And uh, his wife's been in and out of the hospital, very, very serious conditions. And um, she came, she was supposed to be released Tuesday, and uh, he was still waiting at the hospital yesterday, I think, or released Wednesday, I think, they were supposed to release her from the hospital. And he was still up at the hospital yesterday waiting for them to release her. And so uh, pray for them, and especially Brother Eddie. He um, uh, is under a heavy load caring for his mother-in-law and his, and his wife both, and a um, uh, very difficult time for him. So if you can, keep him in prayer. Uh, and uh, then a few other folks that I've uh, been able to meet with this week that have some burdens, and uh, God knows what they are, and pray that God will continue to, to bless there. 
And aren't you glad we can come to Him with our problems and burdens? Um, when I talk to folks, and sometimes they'll come and they'll share a, a burden or ble- uh, something they're going through, and uh, and I don't have the answers to it. I, I think, why in the world are they calling me? You know, and that's the way I feel sometimes. And I think sometimes you do too. But we know somebody who does have the answers to it, and to be able to point them to the Lord and to uh, the Bible, and uh, where we are able to help, I think God expects us to help. But on the things that we don't have the answers for, we need to point them to the Lord. And uh, I'm thankful we have a God that gives us His Word and uh, helps us with some things there and uh, helps us to be able to point people the right way. And uh, so anyway, a lot of things to be praying about. And uh, if you have some other prayer requests this morning, we'll go ahead and take those. And uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer here in just a moment. Miss Rita? Okay. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. Okay. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All righty. Sure. Yep. Well, praise the Lord for that. God is good to provide, isn't He? Absolutely. All right, and then uh, pray for these ones that she mentioned as well. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Amen. Absolutely. All right. Anyone else? Miss Linda? Pray for Mark and Sandy's wedding coming up here soon, uh, October the 23rd, correct? October the 23rd at about 12.30, he said, in the afternoon. So make your plans for that. Mark your calendars. And uh, a lot of plans are being made, so we're excited to see what the Lord has there. And uh, go ahead and mark your calendars for that. I'm assuming the church is invited. I guess I didn't ask you that, but I guess I'm assuming they are. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, family doesn't need an invitation. We just show up. So uh, there you go. All right, Miss Joanne. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. All right. So continue to pray for him. And Jennifer Eaton's friend's dad, is it the dad of her friend, uh, is being taken off life support or probably has been, I guess, at this point. And so pray for that family. I've not, really, Keith didn't have an update yet this morning, but keep that family in prayer if you would. Um, they were not, I guess they were not expecting him to survive that. And so uh, pray for the family, for God to give comfort there. Also, my aunt... Uh, and my uncle both came down with COVID last week, early last week or late the week before. And they had to put my aunt in the hospital with uh, low blood oxygen. I think it was like at 81 um, on, I think it was Wednesday they put her in. And um, she came home, I think it was Friday night or yesterday morning, and doing better. And so we thank the Lord for that, but they still have a little ways to go. She hasn't been able to eat or drink in, I think it, they said, 12 days uh, I think she's been able to keep some fluids down, very little bit. But uh, So pray for her if you would. Uh, her name is Connie Regan, R-E-A-G-A-N, Connie Regan. And uh, my uncle's name is Ron. In fact, it, it was interesting when uh, Ronald Reagan was in the, office, uh, in the presidential office, uh, my uncle's last name is spelled the same way. They pronounce it Reagan now, but they used to pronounce it Regan before Ronald Reagan was in the office. And uh, he actually got to go eat dinner at the White House with the president because his name was Ronald Reagan. And uh, they've got a picture. He's got a picture of him taking. He invited, I guess, all of there were like a hundred of them in the in the nation that uh, all had that same name, and they all got to come and have dinner with him. And then they got a photo with him, uh, and he, they got a picture of him shaking hands with him. And the caption says, "Ronald Reagan meets Ronald Reagan." So uh, I have a claim to fame. My uncle was Ronald Reagan, and. Uh, <laughs> Not that one, but uh, anyway. But do pray for him and my Aunt Connie. Um, the, my uncle's had a fairly moderate symptoms, so he's doing pretty well. But my aunt's really, really struggled with it, and so if you can keep her in prayer. All right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, all right. Okay, so pray for this one. Um, and uh, all right, anything else? Anything else? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful this morning for the opportunity to be here. We pray that you would bless the time that we spend together. Lord, already today we've rejoiced in your goodness to us, and we've spent time thanking you for your blessings and your answers to prayer. We've spent time praying and asking for the burdens that are on our hearts and especially asking for the day-to-day that you would work in our hearts and that we would be uh, yielded and prepared for the preaching of your word, that your Holy Spirit would be able to work in us. And I pray that you would help him to have free reign and free course in our life to be able to do uh, what he so desires to do, help us to be sensitive to it. And then, Father, for the requests that have been mentioned, or a number of folks that uh, are feeling, uh, uh, having physical problems, and some of them even very near death's door and life-threatening. And we do pray that you would bless there. We think of those that have lost loved ones recently, my pastor friends that have both passed away, and 
at this point, uh, the Fuentes family and uh, Marvin Mills. We think of uh, Jennifer's uh, friend's dad and uh, the family there that you would give grace and comfort during this time. And we think of the Gertz family. The, uh, we had the funeral service for yesterday that, again, you would give comfort to the family. Lord, I pray that you would take the message that was preached and help them to recall it and to think on it, meditate upon it, and help the Holy Spirit to be able to have the opportunity to bring conviction to their hearts, that they would be sensitive to that, and that they would get those uh, the issue of salvation settled as a result. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless the unspoken requests. You know what they are. Numbers of them, I'm sure, around the room, as there usually are. And uh, many times very, very serious natures, things that we don't feel always that we can share publicly but are burdensome to us. We pray that you would bless in those situations. And uh, those that are uh, needing some direction and wisdom, Lord, we thank you so much for uh, providing for um, the Douglases and their kids and as they've gotten everything uh, squared away for a place to live and uh, how you've prospered their journey back to the States. We thank you for uh, the uh, good report from Miss Linda and Jennifer and uh, the folks from my place that uh, the uh, COVID cases did not become worse than they were and that you've uh, protected them. And uh, we pray that you would continue to, to provide protection and uh, help our church to uh, remain healthy. And then, fathers, we look forward to the day. We pray that you would uh, allow us to glorify you in everything that we do. And, Father, we certainly don't want to bring a reproach or harm to you and to your cause. And so help us guide our thoughts and our hearts and our minds today. And help us to do everything that we do to point people to you. Uh, that we can lift you up. And, Lord, help us to become more of what we ought to be uh, for you. That daily we would be able to see the things that you want us to see in our hearts and our lives. That you want us to fix and correct and bring into line with your word. And so, Father, help us in these areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter number 7. Nehemiah chapter number 7. And uh, we were here just briefly the other day. We're going to spend just a few uh, moments in here again. There's a large portion of this that basically is a... Uh, list and a record of some of the leaders and some of the men and the fa uh, families and households that are there. But there are a couple of things that I think are very interesting to point out. And uh, we'll, last time we met, which was two Sundays ago, Brother uh, Tully had uh, last Sunday, and so uh, we were in the first part of chapter number 7. And uh, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I gave my brother Hanani... Uh, and Hananiah, the ruler of the uh, ruler of the palace, charged over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And uh, so again, we talked a little bit about um, not only are they focusing on a physical restoration of the city of Jerusalem by building the walls and the gates, but he immediately goes into the fact that he sets up some leaders. And he brings some people, the, he gets the Levites back in place and the, the people that were to serve uh, on the religious matters of the day. Uh, he gets those people back in place and uh, preparing to do the work that God had given them to do. He puts a couple of men in place and leadership in place. And uh, we mentioned this two weeks ago. The requirement that he was looking at was not 
um, their leadership ability. He wasn't looking at their charisma. He wasn't looking um, at their physical appearance. What he wanted to know is, are they faithful? Were they faithful men? And the Bible says that they were faithful, verse number 2, that these men were faithful men and feared God above many. And can I tell you this, that we, in in this world, a lot of emphasis is put um, on physical appearance. A lot of it is put on uh, personality. Do we like somebody? Even our voting, I've noticed here uh, in my lifetime, has... um, come down to who we like the most on the, on the TV screen. Do they look good? Do they have charisma about them? Are they easy to listen to? Are they easy on the eyes? And that's, that's man's way of judging people oftentimes. That's the flesh's way of judging people. But God's way is, are they faithful and do they fear Him? And so the things that we ought to be concerned with in our lives is, I, know, I think you ought to run a comb through your hair. I think you ought to dress as well as you can. But the things we ought to concern ourselves with ought to be the inner man, the things that matter. And uh, so Nehemiah appoints these men. The qualifications he was looking for were men that would be faithful and men that would fear God. Uh, it was leadership that were, that were not faithful to God and did not fear God that got them in this mess to begin with. And Nehemiah was smart enough to realize, and God, I believe, gave him this wisdom to be able to understand that if they were going to change things uh, and that uh, Israel was going to again prosper and uh, there would be a spiritual awakening that came, uh, I think Nehemiah was smart enough to realize that there needed to be godly and God-fearing leadership. And uh, so he he deals with that in verse number 2. And uh, then he talks about verse number 3, and we said just a few words about this, that he sets up the gates... And he tells them not to be open until the sun is hot. And he appoints watches and inhabitants uh, of Jerusalem. And we made the point uh, last time we met how that oftentimes when we rebuild things in our lives and we're kind of spiritualizing this truth a little bit, but when we repair some things that maybe we've been away from the Lord and we've come back to Him, that the decision is only part of the battle. Um, Putting some things in place to keep us from going back there is the other part of the battle. And how, in, how important and how wise it is for you and I to put some hedges and some barriers. And uh, Nehemiah here, uh, he refers to gates. And he, 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 he is watchful of these gates. He puts people to watch them and to, to tend to them and say, this is what is allowed to come in and this is what's allowed to go out through those gates. And so we spoke a little bit of the importance and the issue in our lives that we have things put in place that protect us. Uh, I was talking to somebody just recently, and the Bible speaks to this end in the New Testament. Uh, when it deals, a lot of times we don't, we take passages of Scripture and we read them outside of the context that they're set in. And so some people read the fact that we're not supposed to judge things in the New Testament. And the context of those are that it's on issues of conscience things that God has dealt with my heart about, but they are not necessarily something found in Scripture, that I'm not to judge on those things. I'm not to require that of someone else. Um, there, there are things, all of us do this to some degree or level, and I want to try to teach this to us and hopefully be a help to understanding the New Testament teaching on judging uh, a little bit better. All of us do this to some extent. All of us understand that there are some character flaw that we have 
And every person is different. Every person has weaknesses. All of us know what they are. Sometimes we know it and maybe no one else knows it, but we know what our weaknesses are. And when God gets a hold of our hearts and He shows us these things and we desire to fix them, then we make that decision and we say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get better at that. With the Lord's help, I'm going, to, I'm going to defeat that area. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm strong in that area. But there are some times that we will put safeguards in our life we call them standards, that are beyond what Scripture requires in that area because we know that's an area of weakness for us. Um, let me give you probably one of the, probably the easiest illustration I know to give on it. Uh, over the years, in fact, a, good, a dear friend of mine uh, down in Florida uh, considers himself, if you ask him to this day, he'll say, I am an alcoholic. That's what he'll say. He hasn't touched a drop of alcohol in over 25 years. But he was an alcoholic back then, and he tells people, I am an alcoholic. That desire is still there. God has given him victory. For 25 years, God's given him victory. He's gone but there, there is nothing inherently wrong if I am going to walk into a place that serves alcohol, and, and if they have a, a restaurant there and I'm going to eat at the restaurant, or if I'm going to go into that place and uh, share the gospel with someone, the, the going into that place is not inherently wrong in and of itself, but it would be foolish for that person who has that weakness to put himself in that type of a situation. So he may have a standard and say, I don't go to any restaurant that serves alcohol, period, any. I just don't do that. That is a great standard for him to have, and he's putting some gates in place. Where it becomes a problem is when he begins to require that of other Christians and say, well, you cannot do this because this is the standard that God has given me, so it must be good for everybody. There are biblical standards that don't get, they, they don't get discussed. They are for every person. But there are issues of conscience, there are issues, and we all do it in some degree in every area of our life, uh, that we consider to be weak. We put standards in place, or at least we ought to, that perhaps are going beyond the level of, of Scripture. Um, another one over the years that has been um, an issue. Uh, the Bible talks about it's a shame all right, for a man to have long hair. So for many years, churches, especially in our groups, they came up with standards on hair and length of hair. Uh, back in the 70s, this was a bigger deal in the 80s because uh, they would wear their hair as a sign of rebellion against the establishment and against authority. And that was kind of the reason you did your hair that way. You know, I'm going to show mom and dad I'm not going to get my hair cut, you know, and stomp your foot. Um, and so that was kind of the, the, the connotation behind that. And, uh, but... We read in the Scripture, it's a shame for a man to have long hair, so we set a standard. And there are some places that say, okay, we want it uh, off of the ear, and we want it tapered in the back, not on the collar. Okay, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. It just says long hair. And it's okay to have that standard. But for me to require that of another Christian and say that they are sinning or that they are wrong by not having that standard becomes an issue. Now I'm judging things that I have no business judging. I sell that to try to help us with the area of judgment. 
and also help us with the area of all of us know what areas in our lives that we need to put some gates in place. We need to put some standards in place. Uh, if I could grow long hair, I'd probably have it. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't really. Uh, the reason I don't have it, the reason I preach against long hair is because I can't get it. But all of us have weaknesses. All of us have things that we know that if I go there, even though that in and of itself is not sinful, it's going to create an appetite that's going to draw me. So I'm just not going to go there. And that's my standard. And that's fine to have, and that's what God expects to have in each of our lives. And the Bible talks about the fact that He'll give us those things. Paul deals with it especially. He said if eating meat that was sacrificed to idols is offensive, even though there's liberty, I can eat that because I know that there is no such thing as a real idol. You know, it's just rocks. He said there's liberty there, but if it's something that is bothering the conscience of somebody who used to worship idols, and they're going to have a stumbling block there because of it, then I won't eat the meat. That person shouldn't judge also that Paul was wrong in his liberty either because that was a standard that was beyond what Scripture gave. Paul said, I have liberty. It's not wrong according to Scripture. But to that person, because God put that on their conscience, it was wrong. And anything that was not of faith is sin and deals with that. Uh, one of these days we'll do a full lengthy study on that issue. Uh, but I want to I point out two things about this portion of Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 7. Number one, having safeguards in place for our areas of weakness. And number two, when we have those safeguards and we make that standard, that is for us. There are scriptural principles and standards that we teach and we preach, and they are not to be contradicted. There is no discussion on those. But on the ones of conscience, the ones that I have in my life for conscience sake, are not ones that I demand of someone else. They are ones that God has put in my heart. So I hope that will be a help to you. When we deal with the issue that we're not to judge in the New Testament, that's what it's dealing with are the areas of conscience that God has given to you and I. It's not wrong to have them, but it's wrong for us to judge others by them. And so I want to try to be a help to you on those things. All right, let's look down now, if you will, towards the end of the chapter. And uh, let's go to uh, verse number 66. After he names all of the uh, folks that were to be the leaders, he sets up the Levites. He sets up the people that were going to serve in, in ministry. Um, he sets up the priests, and he talks about all of that, and gets all of that registered, gets everybody taken care of. And verse number 66, he says, The whole congregation together was forty and two, three hundred and three score, uh, 1,303 score, beside their manservants, their maidservants, and of whom were 7,337, and they had 240 and five singing men and singing women. Their horses, 730 six, uh, and, and six. Their mules, 240 and five. Their camels, 430 and five. 6,720 asses. And some of the chief of the fathers gave unto the work. And Tirshatha uh, gave to the treasury 1,000 drams of gold, 50 basins, 530 priests' garments. And some of the chief of the fathers gave to the treasure of the work 20,000 drams of gold, 2,000... Uh, and and 2,200 pounds of silver, and that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 grams of gold and 2,000 pounds of silver and three score and seven priest garments. So the need was great because the folks that were dwelling in this place, they were trying to set up um, their religious practices again. They had been long neglected. 
And so these rulers and the people give to try to help things and get these things back in order. And so it tells us in verse 73, So the priests and the Levites and the porters and the singers, and some of the people and the Nethanims and all Israel dwelt in their cities. And when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. So everything is now in place. The leadership has been restored. And the people have given uh, materially to the work of the Lord in setting up spiritual leadership. I would say all that to say this. God allowed revival to come, which is going to begin here as we get into verse chapter number 8. I believe in a large part because the people were ready for revival to come. They had prepared themselves in every way, both physically, they had prepared themselves in their hearts, they had given freely of their own will and voluntarily, and they were desiring for God to be reestablished in the city of Jerusalem and in their lives. And that brings us now to chapter number 8, and this is where things begin to get very exciting, because up until now, everything has pretty much dealt with the physical restoration of the city. From chapters 8 and on, we find that God now begins to do a spiritual restoration of the people. And so we get to verse number 1 in chapter 8. The Bible says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. What, a, what an amazing phrase of Scripture. Here's an entire city. We just read how many thousands of them there were. I mean, this is not a small group of, what, 20 or 30 people. We're talking about thousands and thousands and scores of thousands of people that are there. And the Bible says that all of the people gathered themselves together. You get that many people together, this statement usually is not made. That all of them come together as one man. I mean, you don't get that many people together and not have some disagreements and some problems. But they are all united. Now, they're not all united in every aspect of life, but they are all united in this. They want God to do a work in their hearts. This is what they're united in. This is what their one purpose in. And so it says that uh, that was before the water gate. Now, we talked about the, water, the gates a number of weeks ago and how they symbolize different things. And uh, the interesting thing about the water gate is that that is uh, God nourishing His people through His Word. And that's, that, that, that kind of pictures that. And so they are gathering before the water gate. This is the place where they would read the Scripture. And so we get to verse number 1, the second part of it. It says, Then spake uh, unto And they uh, spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. This is backwards from what it seems like the attitude among most people today is. Usually in churches, preachers have to stay after people. Now, I'm thankful our folks are, they they come and I have to to tell them to stay home when they're sick because they want to come. But um, a lot of churches in our country, and a lot, I think if we were to go around the room, all of us could relate to this in places we've been. Usually, the preachers are preaching at the people saying, forsake not the assembling, you need to be faithful, you've got to be here, you've got to be here, you need to come hear God's Word preached. And usually it's the religious leaders saying to the people, you need to come and hear God's Word preached. Not so in this case. The people come to Ezra. Isn't that amazing? They come together, the Bible says, as one man, and their desire is, we want to hear from God. 
That was, that was the thrill of their heart at this point. That was the desire. That was what they were hungering and thirsting for. So they tell Ezra, they say, bring the books of Moses, the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And so in verse 2, the Bible says, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate. From the morning, notice this, until... How long? Till midday. You think I'm a long-winded preacher. You should have heard Ezra preaching. You'd have been hungry. Before the men and the women and those that could understand. So who is those that can understand? Children probably above the age of what? Maybe six or seven? They could understand, I think. Maybe eight, somewhere in there. So men and women and children that were old enough to understand, these are all standing before them. From how long? From morning until when? Till midday. And all the ear and the ears of all the people were what? Attentive. Boy, I tell you, we need to pray that God give us attentive ears when it comes to His Word. I I, I understand. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was a young young boy growing up in a pastor's home. We didn't have a choice about going to church. We can't came no matter what. Sometimes we came even when other people weren't there. And I, I remember enduring preaching as a young person. These people are attentive. They're inclining their ears. I'm thankful when I got saved, something changed inside. And I'm not going to tell you that there's not ever been times that my heart grew cold But I'll tell you this, that there has been a desire for the things of the Lord since I got saved. A big difference. And here these folks are, and the Bible says that the men, the women, and those that were old enough to have understanding, they are in this place listening to the law being read to them. And they are attentive to it. They aren't aren't just filling their Sunday morning schedule that everybody's supposed to do, And this is our time slot. And if we go to church uh, Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Wednesday night, people will think I'm a good Christian. This is people who are coming and thirsting for the law of the Lord. They're attentive to it. Why? Because I believe they've already gotten their hearts prepared for it. In chapter 7, that last portion of the chapter we read, it talked about those that had given. Now, this isn't a message on giving. God has certainly blessed our church with people that give and to meet the needs of our, our ministry and others. I'm thankful for such generous and godly people that are willing to give. But can I tell you this, that God does not... And it, As soon as I say this, our offerings are going to go way down. God doesn't need... Our money. The reason God instructs us to give is because He wants our heart. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Don't tell me He can't pay the light bill this month. He doesn't tell us to give for His benefit, He tells us to give for our benefit, an expression of our heart to Him. These folks gave at the end of chapter number 7. They gave willingly. They gave generously. 
I believe their hearts were already in tune for what God had for them. And when the Bible says that they stood from morning until midday and were giving attention, their hearts had already been prepared to receive the Word of God. I'll tell you, I think it's a wonderful thing when God's people, before every service takes place here at Keith Eyes Baptist Church, sometime before they even get on the property, to find some time alone with God and say, Lord, prepare my heart. Help my heart when I walk through those doors to be ready for God's Word. Help it to be there. It makes a big difference. And so these people are attentive. The Bible says in verse number 3, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning till midday, before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. So again, it shows preparation, the fact that they've spent some time. This wasn't just something that happened. They've, they've purposed to have God's Word read to them again. And beside him stood, and he gives a number of folks here, I'll do my best to pronounce their names, Mattathiah uh, and Shema and Ananiah and Urijah and Hilkiah, uh, Elkiah and uh, Maseiah on his right hand. And on the left hand, Thadiah, Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hash, had, had Anna, <laughs> Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book, notice this, in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. He opens the book, the Bible says, in the sight of all the people. I think that not only is it telling us that he was above the people on the platform, although it does tell us that, but I believe that God's teaching a principle here. That when spiritual leaders get up to lead the people of God, they don't give their words. They, they don't give their opinions, their thoughts, their principles. They take the Word of God. They hold it up in front of the people and say, this is what God has said. And they begin to give God's Word in the sight of all the people. It was important for the folks to know that Ezra's not just up here telling people what he thinks about things and what his values are. He's standing there and he's reading a law that God gave to Moses and he's saying, here's what God has said. And so he teaches these things. And by the way, we have a, a, a lot of religious groups and a lot of so-called churches today that are going to be meeting where men will get behind the pulpit and the Bible will never be mentioned. Or going to a passage of Scripture will never take place. And they'll get up and speak for 30 or 40 minutes and teach people how to better themselves and how to feel good about themselves and how to gain prosperity. And God's Word will never be brought into the picture. Can I tell you, that is not a church. That may be a motivational speech or an inspirational uh, thing to help uh, power positive thinking and all this kind of stuff, but that is not a church. Nor is it the proclaiming of God's Word. And so they get up inside of all the people. He takes this book of the law and he begins to read it. And the Bible says, uh, when they opened it up, that all the people stood up. I've been in services where when the preacher gets up to uh, read the Bible, uh, when he gets up to do his message, uh, he'll say, if you all would, out of respect for God's Word, stand up. I don't have a problem with that. I certainly have uh, uh, been in those services. I've I've done that several times in my life. My concern is that we're doing a token of it, though. Because these folks stood up, and they don't sit back down. 
What about the other verses of Scripture we turn to in the service? And I'm not saying that we need to start having our Baptist services standing up and not in a seat. But I think that when it comes to the reverence of the Word of God, that it's not something that necessarily has to be outwardly expressed as much as it has to be inwardly respected and revered. And I'm not criticizing people to have people stand. I've done it before. I may do it in the future again. And I'm not saying that that is wrong. What I am saying is that when these people stood, it was not something the pastor asked them to do. It wasn't something Ezra did. It was something they did out of reverence for God's Word. And they stood there listening to the Word being read. They didn't sit back down. They continued to stand. And the Bible says that uh, these uh, folks stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, uh, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of hands. And they bowed their heads and did what? They bowed their heads and worshipped. That doesn't sound like the worship we have today, does it? But the Bible says that's what they did to worship. They lifted up their hands, but they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I'll tell you this, a lot of what we call worship today is nothing more than man-centered, attention-grabbing, trying to show others how spiritual we are. When the truth of the matter is, worship is something that is to be done, the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. It's something that ought to take place in the inner man. Now, does that ever express the outward? Absolutely. Are there ever times that we have to say amen because of it? Absolutely. It happens. But their worship was with their heads and their faces to the ground. Why? Because you cannot come into the presence of a holy God and have any kind of arrogance in your own life. It doesn't happen. Every time I find people coming face to face with God in Scripture, I find them falling at His feet and falling prostrate on the ground or saying, woe is me, or not being able to even hardly speak. There's a lot of the so-called seeker-friendly churches out here. These faith, uh, what, uh, uh, word of faith movement. Speak it, and it'll happen. You look at some of their services, and they're they're wild, they're crazy, and they call that worship. Now, I'm not sure God is anywhere near any of that. Now, I'm not saying I haven't had a good amen in a service before. I'm not saying I've not had to stand every once in a while and raise my hands in a service. But that ought to be the times that are done respectfully and in reverence and in worship. Not something that's done for a show. Not something that's done to, to try to get people to look at us and think how spiritual we must be. These people were pricked to the heart. They began to hear the law of the Lord and they began to worship the Lord. The Bible says, with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin, Akabub, Shabbatiah, Hodijah, Maseiah, Kelata, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. 
and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And here we find one of the most vivid descriptions of what we call preaching today, where we take God's Word, we read God's Word, and then we cause the people to understand God's Word by giving the sense of it, helping them to understand the reading. I'm reminded of the, uh, when I read this passage, I'm reminded of the Ethiopian eunuch and how God took Philip and had him go to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he sees him reading from Isaiah in his chariot. And um, he asked the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, How can I except some man should guide me, some man should show me? Really, when we share the gospel with somebody, we're taking God's Word, we're reading it, and we're giving the sense of it. We're helping them to understand it. When we preach from the pulpit, we're taking God's Word, and we're reading it, and we're giving the sense of it and trying to help people understand it. And so I hope that this will be a help to us. Um, we begin to see God do some amazing things in the hearts of these people. They've been prepared for it. They're hungering and thirsting for it. And we're going to see here next week or so some of the amazing things that God does in the hearts of these people. And uh, I'll tell you, I long for those days that God does something. I think God's done some great things here in our church, but I think the greatest days are still before us. I think God is still longing to do way more than what we could even imagine or think about. If we just get to the place where we give Him absolute full control, we take ourselves out of the picture and out of the equation and say, Lord, I want it to, I want it to be what you want. I like what uh, was shared by Brother Pauly that time from that older preacher. As I heard that statement being read, I thought, boy, that's probably one of the greatest descriptions I've ever heard of it. And he was asked, will revival come again to God's people? And he said, when Jesus is enough, then you'll have your revival. And I hope we can get to that place again in our lifetime where Jesus is enough. And God begins to bring great revival to our hearts. And uh, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And uh, we'll have our next service here in just a little bit. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. And Father, in the next service, I pray that You would speak to our hearts through Your Word. May Your Holy Spirit guide and direct. Help us as we understand and look into Your Word to learn these truths and these principles. Guide us and direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.